1: Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is
2: Marion Bartoli.
3: I'm Mats Vilander. This is Mary Carillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast.
2: Well, hello, folks, and welcome to your day one Australian Open 2023 tennis podcast, which is. Of course, being recorded on day two of the Australian <laughs> Open 2023. It is 40 minutes past midnight on Monday night slash Tuesday morning, which I think actually might end up being quite an early recording yeah. time. Feels Danil, like we got away with it. Daniil Medvedev, brackets, also Marcos Girón, did us uh, a little bit of a favour <laughs> This evening, and uh, we'll be talking about that in due course. There is, as you might imagine, on day one of a Grand Slam, a fair bit to get through. Uh, before I get on to that, I'm going to remind you of the excellent, excellent news that we had yesterday, which is that we have a sponsor for this Australian Open coverage, and that sponsor is On Location, the premium hospitality and experience provider. On Location owns the company, the brand that many of you may already be familiar with, Steve Fergal's International Tennis Tours. They've been associated with tennis for so, so long. And they will be sending us to Indian Wells in just a few short weeks' time. It's the first time the three of us will have been there as a team. And it means... Uh, that my sort of segue between periods in winter sun will be very very smooth which given how lovely a day it was in Melbourne today is uh, is excellent news so that's what's next on the travel agenda for the tennis podcast after the Australian Open and we are blooming excited about it now the Australian Open. It got underway in earnest at eleven fourteen p. No, eleven fourteen a.m.
3: It was faff, but Today. not
2: that much faff. It was faff, but not that much faff. I'm just going to have. Are you I'm serious? Gonna, I'm going to start this with just a little bit of a rant. Most of the podcast will be upbeat positivity, but I would just like to take this moment to have a wee rant. Go on. Because we were in we were in Brighton early this morning. We were like kids on the first day of school that had brought their teacher an apple yeah <laughs> we all sat down at our desks we arranged everything matt said oh do you want me to go and get you work uh, i'm going to go to where the notes are do you want a copy of the notes copy of the drawer copy of the order of play yes matt i'll have all of that all laid out on the desk we've got our water bottles filled up we're raring to go it's it's ten fifty nine a.m the anticipation is building Oh, it's 11.03 a.m. There are, no, there are no tennis players on court. It's 11.04 a.m. <laughs> where, where, where are the tennis players? <laughs> Finally, some tennis players meander out at 11.04. First ball struck on the 1573 arena where Emirati Khani was playing. We will talk about the match, folks. Just, <laughs> just bear with me. Just got to get this out of the way. Was it 11.14 a.m.? At 11.13 a.m., they had a little sit-down. They came out at 11.04 <laughs> They had a knock-up And a little sit-down what, what is I love this sport But what's it playing at? I don't understand that
0: I, I, I didn't even know that had happened I don't know what I was doing at but the it, time but,
2: but, No, but it's normal It's normal mm. This is I was what in happens. the coffee
0: queue, remember? I was, I was getting yes. the coffees in I was, yeah. be, you know we, we, were the, we were actually there before the fans today <laughs> <laughs> We were We were so keen but I mean, that is, cr- that is ridiculous. I There's mean, no pe- need for that. Well, when
2: that? Pe- tennis fans are excited, you tune in. A lot, of, a lot of people in the UK will have stayed up till midnight to watch first ball of the Australian Open. 15 minutes of sleep when you've got to work the next day. That's a big deal. Mm. It, it's, I, I, I just think it's disrespectful to the fans and the audience and everything.
3: Anyway. That's done. <laughs> Great start to the pod. Well done. <laughs>
2: On location of thinking, what have we sponsored? <laughs> no, that, that's again,
0: yeah, good point. <laughs>
2: yeah, great. Okay, on to the tennis, as promised. And I'm going to do this chronologically because the first slot of the day on so many courts today was where the excitement was. There, there, was, there was excitement spattered, smattered throughout the day. But for... Just don't know where to put your eyes. Eyes bugging out of your head, as Matt put it earlier on today. Uh, first match of the day was the place to be. The, the following players slash matches were all on at the same time. Emma Raducanu, Bianca Andrescu, Danielle Collins, Jessica Begula, Coco Goff, Amanda Anisimova against Marta Kostiuk. They were all on at the same time. And it was wonderful, but also a bit much
3: that is uh, three-fifths of the backhand list, right there, wow. all on at 11am. I, I literally didn't know where to look. Which three? Uh, Coco Goff, Emma Raducanu and Amanda Anisimova, And um, Danielle Collins is a sort of contender to get on the list. So, you know, it was it was great, but it was too much.
2: <laughs> I'm going to be quite punchy with this section of the show because I I want to be able to mention all of those aforementioned players, because I think they're all worth mentioning. I'm going to start with Emma Raducanu, who who got going at 11.14am. She beat Tamara Korpach today in straight sets, 6-3, 6-2. Now, Tamara Korpach has never won a Grand Slam match, is most famous for aggro with Harmony Tan. I do get that. I do get you can only judge someone so much when... With all due respect, the standard of opposition is what it
3: is, but... And I believe she's ranked one place higher than Emerita at the moment.
2: There we go. And I think this was the best Grand Slam match I've seen Emerita play since her US Open win.
0: Wow, that's uh, high praise, I I think. And uh, I was just, I was very pleasantly surprised. I I was pleasantly surprised with how she was moving. I think there were one or two signs of of i don't know whether discomfort or uncertainty would be the right word i think caution caution Mm. yeah but my goodness did she strike the ball in a flowing manner in a in a manner that tells you she wasn't second guessing herself she that's what punctuated and was the signature element to her u.s open run i think she i think the The thing is, she was so played in by then that everything just came naturally. And the last year and a bit hasn't felt like that. And then suddenly today, there were moments where she just looked happy on the tennis court. And goodness me, she's such a good player and it's a reminder of how good she is.
2: Yeah, look, I'm by no means saying she's going to win this tournament or she's anywhere near the the level or the groove that she was in for that US Open win. But it, it had... A flavour of that about it, which none of her grand slam matches last year did have. They were all, they were all very, very different. Some of them in fun ways. We had a lot of fun watching Emma Raducanu here last year, didn't we, Matt? In that sort of problem solving match that she played with the blisters and everything, and yeah, it, it's it's been interesting. But today I felt like okay. This is the Emma Adekanu that, that we've gotten to know when, look, the run will will probably come to an end in, in the next round. We'll come on to discuss that in a moment. But I don't think that matters. I think there is so much good from the performance today, the way she was taking the ball early, seeing her return from inside the baseline. That was reminiscent of the US Open run, hitting through the forehand. I, I increasingly think the forehand with Emma Adekanu was a real barometer of how comfortable and how free she's feeling on the court and that was a a phrase she used in press after the match she said she's playing with freedom and she didn't say I haven't been doing that for the last year or so but it felt somewhat implicit to me and there were scenes of her you know she hung around on the court and signed all the autographs and took all the selfies she had to take a really creepy selfie with a homemade mask of her own face (laughs) which I would totally balk at but she she went for it with a smile on her face and it was it was great to see great scenes out on the uh, on the 1573 arena and it means that in two days' time, we will have Emma Raducanu against Coco goff
0: First time they've ever played. Yes, please. I've First r-
3: yes, please of the tournament, I think, for that one.
0: Rivalry alert? <laughs> anyone?
2: Doesn't
3: Any- take us much. A- anyone? <laughs> I mean, here for it. That, for that's it. that's and a
0: rivalry that would illuminate the sport, if it could come to fruition and be a regular occurrence.
3: And they both seemed very excited about playing each other. I felt, you know, they both knew that that was the draw, they were both very aware of it that it was happening that they'd set it up. Um Goff today I thought was interesting. She was up against Siniakova and that was quite an interesting test of the forehand because Siniakova beat her at the Billie Jean King Cup just just a few months ago probably where Goff's forehand was at its absolute worst. I remember the second set of that match, she she could not get the ball into court off that wing and, you know, she faces Siniakova first up here and Goff started the match brilliantly, served fantastically in that first set, won it pretty comfortably, but then Siniakova hit a sort of purple patch in the middle of that second set was was making her own play for the backhand list, jumping into backhands and hitting winners and just, you know, sort of being the player that I think we all think she maybe could be on the singles court. You know, it was a clash between, I think, the number one in and number four in doubles. So, you know, so much sort of experience on that court and top quality, but I was really impressed with Goff's response from, from going a breakdown. Um, she knuckled down, got the break back, and then eventually the match was sort of all wrapped up in this incredible 11-minute final game where it took Goff seven match points to win it. Siniakova was uh, bringing it again and Goff was, you know, having to come forward and work on that transition game, which she told you about, David, that she'd been working on in the off-season. Really, really good signs, I think, for Coco Goff. Um, and, yeah, I loved also the way she appreciated being first on Laver Arena and what that meant. You know, I think she she recognised that she'd sort of been chosen for quite a quite a big role there to sort of open the tournament and I'd forgotten that last year she lost in in the first round here to Chong Wong. So just getting through that kind of a big deal for her, I think.
2: That that was a lovely quote I thought in the post match interview, just I know it's not news that Coco Goff has great perspective on, on her life and her place in the world. But for her to say, "I'm honoured that the tournament chose me and Katarina to open up Rod Laver Arena," yeah, and that was so classy. It,
0: it just shows she's not doesn't feel entitled to mm. to appear on there. She arrived. I, I I got into the commentary box on BBC Radio Five Live, which is. Is this amazing position right on Rod Laver Arena on the ground just behind the players? Um, and we no longer have line judges in the way, so that our view is even better because of Hawkeye Live. It, it's a view that makes us feel annoyed and
2: envious when we're sitting in the amazing media seats.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's extraordinary. Um, but what it was, it was not a full crowd when they walked out, it was probably half full, and yet. The sound that was made when Coco Goff walked out onto the court was one of such warmth and excitement. People were really chuffed to see her, who were who were in the crowd. And uh, and that's only going to proliferate as the, as time goes on.
2: I know American TV will probably have a say in the schedule for that match. I'm sure all sorts of stakeholders will try and have a say in the schedule for ma- that match. But I'm going to th- throw my two penneth in and say... First night session match, Rod
0: Arena. please. That is a good time for everybody. And as long as Emma Raducanu is not impeded physically by this ankle injury in that match, I can't see it being anything other than great.
2: Mm, Same. And she seemed so excited about it. Genuinely excited. There was no sort of trepidation about, I don't know, playing. She's, She's more than a year younger than her coco goff there was i don't know it, i think it's going to be great i really do mm-hmm. speaking of great <laughs> guys <laughs> bianca andrescu started the australian open with an inside out backhand half volley passing shot winner okay and matt and i turned to one another while you were getting the coffees david and said she's going to win the australian <laughs> open <laughs> <laughs>
3: I would like it to be known that Catherine said those words and I agreed.
0: <laughs> really? really? I mean, in the moment. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> The funny thing is, well, when I returned from the coffee run and sat down, there was, a, there was a lovely sort of 45 minutes where I had enough time to just stay with you in our little row of desks. They've put three desks next to each other in the media room for us, all marked up the tennis podcast, and we've, all, we've got, all got screens on, and we're watching, you know, there's all these matches on at the same time. It was so exhilarating and exciting having Goff on one screen, Andrescu on the other, Radicano on the other. And and they were all playing lights out. It was total day one
2: Grand Slam energy, wasn't mm. it? It was absolute peak that. Yeah. Uh, Marie Buzkova was the opponent for Bianca Andreescu today. Absolutely no slouch at all. The seeded player. You have to beat Marie Buzkova. She doesn't give you an awful lot. And Bianca Andreescu did just that. 6-2, six, 6-4. Six, I went to her press conference after the match. Again, came away convinced we were best friends. <sighs> She has that effect on you. Based I'm sure on. I think everybody in that room left feeling that way. She's so open and warm and there's such a brightness about her. You feel the air in the room change when when she walks in. I really just want to sort of plug into her in some way and feed off of her energy like a total leech. <laughs> <laughs> Um, But the word cloud from that press conference, I would say that massive letters right in the middle would be excited. She was just
0: bursting with it, brimming with it. We want her excitement and exuberance. We want Radicano's joy. Well, well, then I think you
3: are feeding off that energy because you are excited about React yeah. Rescue as well. Yeah,
2: and, and I, look, I know there have been false dawns. I really, really do. She knows that mm. as well. I asked her, when was the last time you felt this excited about where you were at? And she thought for about a minute, she said, mm, good question. She Honestly, it was just silence in the room for about a minute and I thought has she forgotten the question? Is she, <laughs> is she meditating? Anyway, and then she said, mm, maybe Guadalajara last year I felt good, but not this good. And then and then she took another moment. She said, Rome. Rome last year I felt really good.
0: Oh, I remember that.
2: that and she I ran into Eager, t- and she said, let's forget about the second set, which I think she lost six love, but first set against Eager, I set. was feeling like, wow, I'm, I'm taking on Igor Shvantec and it's going well. Mm. Um, and she finished her answer and I said, are you somebody that looks at your draw? <laughs> <laughs> and she said, no, I'm not, don't tell me. And then, and then she said, uh, but I have seen on Twitter that I'm due to play Igor Shvantec in the third round. And then she sort of said, but one well, much of the time, you know, focusing on my next round. Who,
0: who would they have to play, the two of them?
3: I believe that Andrescu plays Clara Busca, Busca. of Spain. Yes, yes, that's right.
2: They've never never played before.
3: Yeah, um, and there's there's real reason to be encouraged by the way Andrescu was playing today. You know, she she started with backhand winner and sort of kept the level there really. It was it was brilliant, taking the ball early, injecting a lot of variety into her game, slices coming forward, the occasional sort of loopy shots, um, she won a lot of the big points. I was really impressed with just her game. And that's today. a tough first round.
0: It, tough it first round. Is.
2: And keeping the level there is exactly what she was most pleased with in right. her performance today. She sort of said, with a very knowing smile on her face, "I I know I have my ups and downs in matches, and the the consistency sort of within matches mm. is is what she's trying to work on." And she she was asked a question at the at the end uh, of the press conference, I think by Matt Futterman, actually, of the New York Times, um, about how she feels when she looks at. Iga Świątek in the year that she's just had, does she feel any bitterness or or resentment or sadness? I suppose that that maybe that that could have been her had had things fallen differently. And she said, "I feel only motivation seeing what Iga's done." Because reading between the lines, I think she feels like her top level matches Świątek's. Yeah. If she can just find a way to be as relentless and consistent as Svantec, she thinks she can achieve something similar to what she's doing.
0: I think she's right there. Level-wise, I think that there is nothing to choose between their top levels.
2: God, I hope that match happens. Yeah. If there are tennis gods, the faff will be eradicated and that match (laughs) will happen. Uh, Jessica Bagula, 6-love-3-love... Uh before she lost a game to Jacqueline Christian of Romania today, one in the end, six love six one in fifty nine minutes uh good performance for people that have picked Jessica Pegula to win the title of of whom there are two in this room d really
0: you both i you've believe both gone for I Jessica believe
2: Begula so to yeah it was I like have. the tr it was like traitors when <laughs> When the traitors discover who the other traitors mm. are, Matt and I <laughs> revealed to one another, or discovered about one another, that we'd we'd both picked Pagula
0: today. I wonder why they were eyeballing each other like that. <laughs> now I know.
2: Yeah, good day for Jessica Pagula and 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 family.
3: Yes, the Bills beat uh, the Dolphins this morning, and then Pagula stepped onto court and it was over in fifty nine minutes, wasn't it? Mm. Um, Yeah, really good start for her. I think she's got a good draw, actually, in the first couple of rounds here. I wouldn't be surprised if we see another sort of similar-ish scoreline, to be honest. I mean, she's just playing so, so well at the moment. And then there was this lovely quote she gave, I think, on American TV and also in the press conference where she talked about uh, the practice sessions that she's been having with Francis Tiafoe because they obviously... Um, played together in the the United Cup, won that tournament together and have been hitting here in Melbourne. And um, she just made the point that they really sort of play off each other really well and and sort of benefit each other. Um, She thinks that she brings a bit more focus to the practice sessions um, and also rhythm. Um, I think Tiafoe says that he feels like the best player in the world when he plays with Pagula because she just doesn't miss and it just allows him to sort of express his game. And yet, on the other hand, Francis brings a bit of his sort of free spirit, I think, to Pagula, and she sort of feeds off that. So I love the idea of, of, of their respective energies sort of helping each other along the way. And, um, yeah, that's, that's a sort of great thing to come out of the United Cup, I think.
2: Yeah, absolutely love that. Uh, That was over quickly enough to enable Matt to go out and catch the end of Danielle Collins against Anna Kalinskaya, which started in really ominous fashion. Danielle Collins sustained a knee injury very early on, got some extremely heavy taping on her knee, was boshing down the painkillers and anti-inflammatories. It did not look good, and yet somehow she hung in there um, and ended up, winning that what what was it like out there on the Kia arena
3: it was pretty wild actually <laughs> <laughs> I got there and it was it was packed um, there were people dressed up uh, there were people really clearly sort of on the Danielle Collins ride you know because you could you could feel everything that she was feeling because she was letting you know, and it was quite a contrast actually, because her her opponent Kalinskaya was very poised and very calm, whereas Collins was all arms up in the air, racket flung across the court. She she was getting very annoyed by Kalinskaya consistently hitting the sort of back of the line. Um, and how dare she? Yeah, and <laughs> and and just sort of, I mean, she gave this quote at the end of the match where uh, she said, "There's a saying that." It's uh, better to be lucky than good. And she was good and she was lucky.
2: I <laughs> love that line Which, so much.
3: I loved it's... it. And it, it did sum up how she, was, how she was feeling and what she was facing in that match. Because, yeah, I mean, Callum Sky, I don't know whether she was aiming for the back of the lines, but she was consistently Netflix should them. be
2: going for Danielle Collins, shouldn't they? Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. She hasn't got a politeness problem. Give her a 10-part series of her own. Yeah. yeah. No, We'd it was watch. it
3: was a sort of it was a brawl really of a tennis <laughs> match in 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 sort of Daniel Collins style and it as you said it sort of snuck up on us I think because we were worried about it at the start because you know she had a huge amount of tape applied to that knee in sort of two goes it was really heavy tape um and yet it turned into an absolutely fantastic match both players Hitting big. Um, and yeah, I mean, l- last year's finalist, Collins, like that would have been a big shock if, if she'd gone out and she was close to going out because Sky really, really did play well. So she's, she's done well to to battle through and let's hope the knee is is okay.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Fingers crossed. It was like a greatest hits of Daniel mm. Collins out there, wasn't it? Brilliant stuff. Uh, at the same time, Marta Kostyuk was beating... Amanda Anisimova, 6-3, six, six, a deserved victory. I think Anisimova carrying a bit of an injury is is backhandless status in any any doubt at all. I think Anis no. Anisimova, Anisimova could lose every match yeah. for the rest of time, right? Yeah. She's
0: always on She's the back. She's got yeah. a permanent okay. place. Uh, yeah. do, I think, I, do, yeah, I Just on, on Kostyuk um, when I made my way at the start of the day to the commentary box for the first time, just before play was about to get underway... If you've ever seen the surveillance cameras in the corridors outside the player area, it's where it's like it's like a sort of underground car park feel to it, and yet
2: I think it is actually an is underground it, car park, it?
0: David. Okay, well that would explain that. Then. <laughs> um, players are warming up in mm. that area, all all together down these two walkways, um, doing shuttle runs and and jumping about and juggling tennis balls with their fitness trainers. I walked down. Just when there must have been about twelve players doing exactly this, and I'd got to walk between them with my rucksack and my sort of unathletic physique, and I and I walked past Marta Kostur, and I actually had to say, "Excuse me, any chance I could just get past here while she's doing a warm-up for a match?" But anyway, it was um, it was quite a sight to see how pumped. These players were, particularly her, and she went out. and I and I was surprised in a way that she handled Anissa Merva that that comfortably. But you know, she's on the rise as well, mm, and and loves to play in Australia. This yeah. is where she had her breakthrough, of course, a few years ago.
2: Um, so those were the matches in the in the first slot. Maria Sachary was second up on the Rod Laver Arena. Her her top seemed to have shrunk in the wash. Don't know if she's looking into that. Yes. At all
0: crop top and basically showing off the most extraordinary physique and mm. six pack
3: yeah I think I think it's made for Zachary <laughs> that top
2: yeah i I'll be interested if anybody else appears wearing that I suspect not mm. I suspect it's Zachary specific anyway did the trick uh, 6164 over Ue1 today um I think the other big women's result that we need to talk about is Iga uh defeating Yulin Nemeyer two straight sets, not two straightforward sets. I was so impressed with Świątek today and not because she was brilliant. there were moments when she was brilliant, but this was this was winning when she wasn't playing her best, and as we've discussed at length you Okay, there's the odd exception. And one of those exceptions might be Iga Svantec at both her French Open titles. But generally speaking, you don't win Grand Slam titles unless you can win when you're not at your best. And that's exactly what Svantec did today. I mean, the first set was kind of a steal. That's Mm. how you described it, isn't it, Matt? From Under Niemeyer's Nose. And the second set, a little bit, the same Nimei served for it and Shontek just had an injection of brilliance that Nimei didn't have at the end of both of those sets
3: yeah I completely agree I found myself really impressed with both players actually I I, I thought Nimei was very impressive apart from sort of at the end of each set you know because as you said she did have sort of chances to win both Um I think she's got a great temperament, Niemeyer. She she actually managed to take some of the air out of the match. You know, it was there was a potential upset there when she was up a break in in the second set, and yet it didn't feel that sort of seismic or huge, but I think that's what she wanted. She's so in control of her game. She's got such big power. She can rock you back, but it never feels excessive or not like it's under her control. And she almost just, I don't know, puts a sort of sleeper hold on her opponent and just keeps plugging away with these big shots. But she's also got nice touch. And I think she's quite deceptive in a way. Like, I think she's quite hard to read where she's hitting the ball. Uh, I was really impressed with her. She's never too high or too low emotionally. Uh, I think she really understands what she can do and what she can't. And that's that's three slams in a row where she's, you know, been a factor, really, in terms of, OK, she's played fewer and fewer matches, but that's because she keeps running into Igor Sviantek earlier and earlier. But that's twice now that she's pushed Sviantek. And, as you were saying, also impressed with Sviantek, the way she won so many games to deuce on her serve. You know, there were lots of lots of tricky moments that she came through and then just that acceleration right at the end of the second set um she did play really well in those games started hitting the backhand down the line um, using her return which she spoke about as one of her great strengths and uh yeah just showed her just showed that the level is there if she can find it but generally i thought it was a really good match and i was in sort of encouraged for both players, really, I suppose.
2: Feels like it was a, a good day of results on the women's side for the tournament. For how the, mm. how the tournament could could possibly shape up over the the days and and weeks to come. David's giving me a look like you're getting
0: ahead of yourself. No, I, I'm <laughs> right, I'm right on board. Um, they, they, there were some good matches, some good performances, some reminders of why these players are exciting, and they're all still in. Mm, exactly
2: You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash. You can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. On to the men's matches that we saw today. The headline was uh, was was pretty clear. Uh Jack Draper against Rafael Nadal, third on the Rod Laver Arena. It was exactly as I think we all called it. Four sets for Rafael Nadal. I don't know if it played out exactly as 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 I necessarily expected the the four sets to play out it was a very disjointed match. I didn't wasn't expect
0: it? a six-two Jack Draper second set. That's the bit that was surprising to me because, you know, he just he just lost his way in Nadal. But then, if you think of what's been happening to him in recent months, it does follow a theme, Matt. It's just that I maybe wouldn't have expected that to happen at the Australian Open. I mean, the first set. It was 6-5, it was close, it was nip and tuck. Nadal was definitely the better player in that first set all the way through and Draper was just trying to figure out the pace and the angles and and the the aura of Nadal and get comfortable and he just about did it and then he didn't. He lost his serve 7-5. Suddenly in the second set, he comes out with much more purpose but Nadal lost his way and, and was mistiming shots into the middle of the net, it was qu- quite a sight and quite a, f- uh, a disconcerting feeling, really.
3: Yeah, <laughs> it was. I, th- I didn't think this was a particularly high quality match. You know, certainly sets two, three, and four, there were there were periods where Nadal was playing horribly. There were periods where Draper was really struggling physically, and it just made for a bit of a Weird match it was messy it was it was messy, I think um, the third set was interesting, wasn 't it because you know there were breaks and it looked like Draper might be able to pinch it, and that would have made it interesting, perhaps, but um, just focusing on that on that second set, that is what Nadal keeps referring to in his press conferences. what he needs to find is a bit like andrescu consistency in matches because. It's happening so often that he's starting quite well. And the first set was pretty encouraging. He found his forehand down the line. He was playing well. And then it just completely disappeared. He faded dramatically. And he's been doing that a lot. You know, it was it was the same pattern of all of his matches this year. Win the first set, lose the second set. And even going back to last year, he he did that against Tommy Paul as well. It's It's a problem for him. He can't sustain his level for a long period and i would say he only really sustained it for a set today and then the rest of the match was was about you know being physically stronger i think than than draper to be honest um but he's so aware of that and he's so good at accepting what he's got on the day you know he doesn't get angry with himself he's He's, he's able to stay humble, in his words. He
2: said, I'm humble enough to accept an up-and-down performance. Right. Thanks for doing our analysis for us. Yeah, Great. That's, yeah.
3: that's exactly it. Um, I asked him whether he was still feeling the effects of the ab injury, just sort of inspired by the conversation we had probably 10 days or so ago, seeing some of the analysis of his serve at the United Cup, and maybe he isn't quite able to to do what he did previously. Well, he was he was pretty confident that he is completely over it and he did have to make adjustments, but he thinks he's back to where he wants to be. So yeah. I was quite encouraged by that He as did well. a little
2: demo for you, didn't he? Did, he did, yeah. In he his stretching
3: <laughs> and all sorts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and there was one very funny line from his um, press conference where Eleanor Crooks asked him if he was impressed with Draper because that was the first time that he'd faced Draper. And um, he said, no. He he said, no, I wasn't impressed because I know how well he is, how good he is. And then he realised that he didn't want, I'm not impressed with Jack Draper, so it'd be clipped up and put out as a quote. (laughs) So he sort of backtracked and said, no, no, I didn't say that. Please don't put that out.
2: (laughs) And then, yeah, he stopped. He said... I didn't say that. <laughs> it was brilliant.
3: Of course, he was impressed with Jack Draper, but he wasn't. I think surprised. He wasn't, wasn't He's a man surprised.
2: that understands clickbait. Yes. Yeah,
3: yeah, <laughs>
1: exactly. It was. He's been burned before. Yeah, it was yeah. brilliant.
2: <laughs> I was so impressed with Jack Draper and his. I, I mean, I continue to be impressed with Jack Draper in in the way he handles handles the media, handles handles himself. Um, he was he was absolutely intent on not retiring from that match. You know, it was cramp, it was loss of conditioning. He knew it wasn't something that was going to do him any damage by continuing. He said, "I was always going to deal with whatever pain I was in to to finish that match and make sure the opponent got got the victory that they deserved." He he explained that really well, I think, and said he's going to go to Davis Cup in Colombia. Whether he's on the bench or on the court, he'll he'll be there. Quite right. Absolutely. Absolutely. The right decision there. absolutely. I love that he said that outright. He's not said, "Yeah, oh, see how my body feels." I'd like to play. You know, he looked everyone in the eye and said, "I will be there." This
0: is how he gets his body right.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So he'll use this. It'll make him better. This experience will, will make it just, better just for on sure.
0: the, on the ground level experience of watching these two against each other. that is the most similar trajectory of shot, an angle of shot that i 've ever seen against Rafael Nadal because Draper is left handed he 's got heavy top spin, and he was quite happy to trade in those kind of cross court rallies with nadal and it was It was interesting to see Nadal sometimes not quite liking it coming spitting up at him. You know, Draper really does load up on that spin, and and he's happy to loop and get it deep.
2: Uh, Nadal, Rafa has helped me with this analysis, but I do share his view that this court isn't going to suit heavy topspin. Mm. I do think both of them. I and think the ball. part of, uh, the, the the ball, yeah, the the conditions. I yes. mean, which are the, the the differential this year. The the different factor is the balls have changed. Um, and lots of people speculating that they fluff up a lot, and they play very differently after about two games. They they play quite quick for two games, and then sort of suddenly get get very heavy. Um, I certainly thought it was a contributing factor to the messiness of that match, the mistiming. They felt like they weren't able to to hit through the court. Those yeah. two with their.
0: I wonder, do you think, therefore, it could contribute to the fact that Medvedev won very, very easily tonight with his flat strokes?
2: I do. I do. I am absolutely no expert in judging court speed and ball speed. It is not my speciality at all. So I'm feeding off a lot of other people's analysis and gauge of this, but people that seem to know what they're talking about, are pretty unanimous at the moment on how it all seems to be playing. Um, and to to my extremely untrained eye, it does seem to suit a flat hit. I, I think also if if the balls are changing in how they perform over the course of games and matches, that suits a player who's able to make mid-match adjustments and pivot and think on his feet. And that is Daniil Medvedev, who was... I mean, he lost three games tonight against Marcus Garon. I know Garon's a bit of a ball machine, isn't he? He did not play badly. Poor yeah. old Garon.
0: <laughs> he no. won three games tonight. He, he was on it today, Medvedev. I, I think the the big question mark is whether he's as strong mentally as he used to be uh, when he plays the big names and they push him. And look, and he when he plays Djokovic, he can just be outplayed because Djokovic's top level is even higher. Um, but we'll see. That was very encouraging, I thought, from Medvedev. Didn't get
3: a chance to go to Medvedev's press conference tonight because obviously, you know, it finished late and we had a car to get into and a podcast to record, but I am interested to try and ask Medvedev at some point in this tournament about whether he actually ever felt like he got over that Australian Open final and whether actually being back in Melbourne is some sort of closure on that like it it seemed like today just helped him I think just being back on that court playing well having a different experience like I think that might do Medvedev the world of good because as you said it doesn't feel like he's been as mentally strong since that final there's there's been a lot of other potential factors too injury being banned from playing Wimbledon but it all sort of started here in Melbourne, and I wonder if sort of he's going to sort of come full circle on that this this fortnight. Um, I did very much enjoy his um, post match interview in which he was praising Garonne to the tilt, <laughs> saying he 's such a good player, but also admitted that two sets in he was already thinking about the encore interview and wondering whether it was going to be Jim Courier speaking to him like he knew he was winning that match even though Giron is apparently this fantastic player it was just sort of classic sweet spot great Medvedev
2: yeah it made me look forward to attending future Medvedev press conferences at this at this tournament because he didn't Come in for pretty much media and mm. he finished too darn late tonight. We haven't spoken to Daniil Medvedev yet, and that is one of the joys of the Australian Open, Yeah, I think. Who who else impressed today on the men's side? We had a real thriller um, from uh, an unexpected thriller from Francis Tiafo against the German Daniel Altmaier. He looked to be cruising in his um, what, what people seem to have decided was a sort of romper suit. Um he looked like Mr Motivator.
0: <laughs> it's it's a a wild set of colours, isn't it, that Nike have put the players in. And he he didn't go for the comp, the sort of half hearted effort, he went for the full on version yeah, they, with the sleeveless shirt. They obviously shirt look.
2: showed him the T the shirt and shorts and he said, Have you got anything anything wackier than that <laughs> for <laughs> yeah. me? Anything that looks a bit more like a a baby's onesie and they said Francis, we've got just the thing. <laughs> and,
0: and he pulled it off. I thought he looked fantastic.:
2: i actually, i I don't think he pulled it off. I, I I think he pulled it off better than anybody else could, but I do think it was a criminally a criminally bad outfit. But good <laughs> luck to him. I, I you know respect him <laughs> going for it. I just don't personally like it.
0: We'll have to take that back then, Matt. What we've bought, we'll have to... (laughs) Got
2: the receipt. 7-6 in the fourth for Francis Tiafoe, having led two sets to love. One to get through is how you, you described that, Matt. Yes,
3: and I think he said something along the lines of, you know, that sort of cliche, but it, you know, it's true. You can't win the tournament in the first round, but you can lose it, and... He's got bigger ambitions in these tournaments mm. than I think he used to have. You know, the U.S. Open has has made him realise that he can go really far. I think in these events, and that was awkward because I was looking up at the screen, and for about an hour there, Altmaier was hitting Dominic Team, Stan Wawrinka, single-handed backhand style winners. You know, he was he was brilliant for a, a large portion of that match, and Tiafoe had to resist all that and get through it and yeah I think um I think it's pretty impressive
2: I love that Tiafe is finding a way to be dialed in and hungry and motivated and dedicated and s- and still be bringing the vibes still be bringing all the vibes yeah. he high fives the umpire at the, the end Carlos so brilliant yeah <laughs> it, it was great he was great he's uh he's He's great for the tournament, great for tennis. Felix Auger-Aliassime was having, having one of those days for a, for a while. I was I was preparing a very different agenda item the for, for an hour or so. Then he and... he was five love down against Vasek Pospisil, and uh, wasn't injured. There was nothing else going on. He was just bad, and it got to the point. This match where it was either going to be a hideous, horrible loss or exactly the kind of win that Felix Orgelia seemed needs. So, so so interesting. It turned out to be the latter. W-
0: when I walked into the, the media room and... and saw Matt for the first time in about 9 hours. Um I looked at the screen and I said, "What is he doing here, Matt?" You know, in broad in this match, I think he was two sets to one up and he was, you know, it was st- still close. And Matt wasn't having any of it. This is this is just what he needs though, right? This is this is him showing he can win ugly, right? Well, that's what we've been saying, isn't
3: it? Like we need those you know, sort of five six out of ten performances and look he, he did get better after that first set um so i think it probably was a couldn't five be worse. or six out of no he couldn't five or six out of ten performance and he won it and um i, I do remember he played Roussevori here last year and i think he lost the set six love in that and i went out i think it was on the 1573 arena i went out what is going on with orjali asim and i remember Sitting down and he, I think the first shot I saw of that match, he framed it and the ball came right at me in the crowd. And I thought, oh my God, like, he's awful. Like, But he got through that match and by the end of that tournament, he played one of the best matches I've ever seen him play against Daniil Medvedev, where he lived with Medvedev for five sets, had a match point. And I just think he needs he needs to come through matches like this because he didn't, at the US Open against Jack Draper. Uh, he didn't against Maxime Cressy at Wimbledon. You know, early rounds, which are tricky, and he's not playing his best. Pospisil's beaten him before. He knows his game. He can push his buttons. You know, it's it was awkward, I think. And they're good friends, aren't they? They've just won the Davis Cup together a couple of months ago. There was, there was reason for that match to be a little bit awkward, and it clearly was, because he, he started horribly, but um, he fought through and I don't know. I, I'm a believer in Felix auger Aliasim, and I think I probably always will be um, just because of, you know, the sort of folkloric, mythic quality to his career that he's been, you know, I think I think players on the tour call him the chosen one, don't they? You know, he's he's got that quality about him and I'm sort of seduced by that, by that story I'm not always completely exhilarated by his game sometimes I am um, but I just think now might be his time um, and I wasn't thinking that when he was 5 up down against Pospisal but now he's come through it I see it as a as a good sign
0: got, got him in the final haven't you?
3: I do I mean I don't feel confident about that he's at all he's a believer all, but I'm a believer
2: Stefano Sittipas, a winner today, uh, over Conta Alice. Uh, we had Cameron Norrie, a winner today, over Luca Van Ash. Now, I think that is all the significant men's results for the day, but not all the significant news, because midway through the Nadal and Draper match, actually towards the end of the first set it was, because I was on the Rod Laver Arena, uh, we got alert, an alert in all caps on the Australian Open Media Conference's WhatsApp group saying Nick Kyrgios is now on his way to the main press conference room. And that can pretty much mean only one thing in this sort of scenario. And lo and behold, it did mean withdrawal for the Wimbledon finalists. Matt, you were able to go to the press conference.
3: Yes, I was. And it was Nick Kyrgios in that press conference and also his physio and his physio, to be honest, did most of the talking. Kyrgios announced that he was pulling out, and then it was his physio explaining why. And he said that um, Kyrgios has got a tear in his meniscus. He's also got a cyst developing there. Um, They played the exhibition the other night against Djokovic. Apparently he didn't pull up well after that, and he is out. He's going to need some surgery. And the hope for them is that he'll be back for Indian Wells. That was that was the sort of update that, that the physio gave. Went into quite a lot of detail about it. Kyrgios has since gone into too much detail, I would say, on Instagram
0: and posted
2: something revolting. Have you seen this, see David?
0: Uh, something he's drained from his cyst, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Mm. Right yeah so bodily fluids okay. on instagram
3: but um yeah obviously a, obviously a massive um massive disappointment for Kyrgios you know he he came in here you know tennis wise i think really believing that he has the game to go far and but...
2: it's a, it's a tricky one this isn't it because i don't think any of us really thought of him as a title contender here i mean always there's always the Kyrgios of it all which is with, you know the asterisk of well of course he could just you know strike it hot and do curious things but none of us had him I don't think even in our
0: quarterfinals I, I had him in the quarters yeah. but but I you when we were talking about is he in the mix I said no because I'd, I would be surprised if he'd have won the title um but I think what's what was surprising to me with the announcement today is that when he came into the press conference for his pre-tournament interview a few days ago, I didn't get any sense of this. I didn't get any sense that he 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 was sort of nursing an injury that that could keep him out of the tournament. Um, and then he played the exhibition. I didn't notice anything there either. I must say it was pretty gentle. It wasn't it wasn't exactly furious hitting uh, and running about in that in that. Exhibition match. He did
2: pull out a United Cup. He,
0: he did, and he's pulled out of everything so far. And, and a meniscus in, in issue
2: is... Uh, it's a cyst, you know. It's not a... The, the, it sounds longer term. I don't... Mm.
0: Well, he's got, he said he's got to have a small surgery, I think. like a, Or mm. an arthroscopic surgery, I yeah. think it is, isn't it? Um, but so wish him well on that because that's and, and it must must be desperately disappointing to have to pull out and he said i feel exhausted i feel exhausted by the process and and i don't know i think he probably got himself very stressed about everything for the last two or three weeks um and here we are but um it's a it's a you know the tournament put a lot of stock in him I suppose don't they and and the media certainly do in Australia um so it's it's a blow for them um but I I think he I got the sense that he probably could have played he probably could have won a couple of matches maybe with it but he didn't feel like he in his words he said I couldn't have won the tournament um, so I didn't want to enter which you know and I think there's a lot of people who've a lot of top players do end up feeling like that you know it's uh, I'm not I'm not really here to just play a couple of matches.
2: But he was a few years ago. I mean I'm yeah. glad I'm glad he there is a change there a of ambition and, and admits how gutted he is about it. Yeah. I think that that's a good thing. Uh but yeah, undoubtedly the you know there's what I'm saying is there's a a little bit of a, a gap between how we think of the news in terms of the tournament and how obviously it's been reported locally and by the tournament, which is very understandable. But for us, it's it's not quite as seismic, I don't think. What have we got on day two? Rod Laver Arena starts with Arena Sabalenka against Teresa who um, who I'd mistaken for Diego Maradona in the... Uh, in the draw. Uh, Caroline Garcia, second on Rod Laver. And then it's Andy Murray against Matteo Berrettini. This is your chance, David, if you'd like to backtrack on your prediction. You had, l- you had a little wobble earlier, didn't you? Would you like to tell everybody about that?
0: Yeah. I did start to think it's going to be very hot tomorrow and Andy Murray's thir- mid-30s and... I, Scottish. And I
2: went to Chemist Warehouse <laughs> earlier. There's a there's a pharmacy on site. I went to Chemist Warehouse and bought two industrial-sized bottles of eau thermal, which is like just water in a can. Cool you down. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's going to no, be super I hot.
0: I just, I'm, I'm letting my heart roll my head. <laughs> I not going to win. Uh,
2: in the night session, it's tomorrow's the shek against Angeveur and... And then Novak Djokovic against Roberto Kobayas-Baina. Uh, the second court is Muguruza against Mertens, first up. Zhiyu uh, Wong against Karolina Pliskova. And then Alexander Zverev there as well. Belinda Bencic in the night session. And then uh, Kaspar Rude against Thomas Mahatch who we saw practising the other day and decided was the best tennis player in the world. So <laughs> okay. keep keep an eye on that one, everyone. Uh, around the grounds, what else have we got? Just to pick out a few to keep your eye on tomorrow. Uh, Andre Rublev against Dominic Team first up in the John Kane arena. Now, we were really down on Dominic Team because he lost to Sun Mu Kwon in Adelaide 2 qualifying. And we're thinking, well, that's rubbish for Turns out losing to Sun Mu Kwon is is something that, that lots of people, lots of are people doing have been moment. doing. Lots of very good mm. tennis players although, have been doing.
3: Although he's out of the Australian Open. He lost in five sets today to Christopher Eubanks. Just, it's your classic.
2: It's your classic. It's your classic. It's your classic. It's
3: your classic. <laughs> <laughs> it's great analysis isn't it oh that's what people come here for <laughs>
2: fernandez leila fernandez against elise Corne. first up on court three we'll would watch yes
3: will watch
2: will watch the nasi against fabio fanini third on the kia arena uh we'll certainly keep an eye on it uh alejandro davidovich for kina against Alexander Bublik, second on court 16. Those all sound very fun to me. And I think that's about your lot for day one of the Australian Open. We need to get some sleep and recharge and refuel for day two, which it already is. It's one thirty-two in the morning. Uh, Cordelia is our lovely, lovely Australian Open mascot. Uh, I'm going to be posting uh, our predictions for the tournament from quarterfinals onwards on Instagram tomorrow and there will be a lovely picture of Cordelia therein so I encourage you to head over to our Instagram to check that out we have our personal mascots David has Maisie how did it go for you today
0: not well no I mean why did I go for Diana Yastrzemska to beat Yelena Rostopenko Maisie come on inspire me
2: well I went for Coco Vanderway. um me and Zanya, and it didn't go well I thought she'd qualified you know she was riding high just
0: to say Coco Vanderwey joined me sat next to me in the commentary box for about an hour and she was so interesting to listen to and she is a really good pundit um, very very impressive and she's gone through a lot she's gone through a terrible time with ill health and I think it's given her a, a lot of perspective on life she is, she is totally different to what I remember her as as a, as a person really really enjoyed her company very
2: interesting I hope, I hope she can find, find a way back I mean just, just qualifying here is a big deal I mean that's, that's how tough it's been for Coco Vanderwey that's, that's yeah. a big result for her Matt Darwin points
3: Yep, some points today. Pleased with that. Dar- and, uh, and Darwin's pleased with his life choices, isn't he? <laughs> uh, I've gone for the same strategy tomorrow, which is going for an Australian that uh, Australian TV would describe as being in red-hot form. <laughs> no one else would describe them as being in that, <laughs> but home TV would.
2: <laughs> uh, Billy Jean had uh, a miserable wet walk Today, I'm informed, but it's all fine because she's sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our top folks, Jamie, Drew and Hannah. They're our executive producers and we're delighted to have them. And Matt, we have shout outs.
3: We have Gillian Dobson, who is in Yorkshire. Oh Gillian.
2: Hello. Sorry. Hello, Gillian. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can't see. There, I
2: was thinking of Dobson. I'm sure there's there's a tennis Dobson.
0: Is there? I'm, I'm or am
2: I thinking of Anita Dobson from EastEnders?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Not quite the same. <laughs> I think I'm you are. I'm
2: sure there's a tennis
0: Dobson. There should be. There should be a Gillian. I cannot think of one. Gillian. Jill. You're all we need. Jill. Kray Bass.
2: Teichman. But well, they're J's, aren't yeah, they?
3: Yeah, they are J's. Well,
2: you're a one-off, Gillian. Yeah. And we're glad to have you. We
3: are. We've also got Elizabeth Desmond in Cork, Ireland.
2: Hello, Elizabeth. Right, Elizabeth. Like Elizabeth Mandlick, who um, this is an opportunity to yes, do a to bit of an update. Podcast. Yes, uh, we, we informed you yesterday that she had lost in, in qualifying. Well, she got into the main draw as a lucky loser. 9%. And we'll be playing tomorrow with Elizabeth Mandlick. So there we go. Thank you, Elizabeth. For reminding us to provide that update. Yes,
3: we've also got Christine Kirby, who is in Portugal. Oh, I like that name. All right, Christine.
2: Hello,
0: Christine. I love Portugal. I go on there on my holidays. I love it.
3: Yes, I like Portugal a lot as well. <laughs> we've got. Uh, they I, gave the I, world Marco Silva. I
2: knew where this was going. Paulina, <laughs> you want to mention Polinia? Polinia.
3: Yeah, All of our great players that have got full them sick. In the Premier League,
0: Christine. Like what
2: Chris- this morning, Matt? All
3: right, <laughs> yeah. Don't bring we're still sick. Down. It's fine.
0: Like Christine Truman. Yes, there we go. Who won? Who reached the Wimbledon final all those years ago?
3: We've also got Robert Kreth in San Jose.
2: Right, Robert. Oh, I've been to San Jose.
0: Like Robert Federer, as I think I <laughs> might have mentioned a couple of days ago, <laughs> dad like, of Roger. Uh,
3: Robert Farah. <laughs>
0: Yes. Yes. Is that
2: right?
3: Was that Roberto? I think
2: no, I think it's Robert. I think it is, is it Robert? Isn't yeah. it?
3: Okay. Why is it Robert?
2: Haven't got time for that it's right Claudian. now, Matt. Anyway. Yeah. Cheers, Robert. Hmm.
3: <laughs> and Jonas Vial, who is in Malmo in Sweden.
0: Right, Jonas. Like Jonas Bjork. Oh yes, Jonas Bjorkman
2: absolutely perfect was. thank you Jonas we're very glad to have you we're very glad to have all our friends of the tennis podcast thank you for making it possible for us to be here in Australia covering the first Grand Slam of the 2023 tennis season thank you to On Location and Steve Vogel's Tennis Stores who are going to be sending us to Indian Wells so I can continue to develop my talent <laughs> Uh, it's all going well, folks. We can't wait to bring you more. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll speak to you then.
1: Hold up. What was that?